All right, Shabbos, say good morning. Let us begin. Let's thank our sponsor, Atamatora sponsors for the month of Av, Max and Brenda Lapkowski in honor of Yitzchok Mayer's upcoming bar mitzvah. Dr. Riva Mitzner in commemoration of the first yard site of her father, Dr. Larry Schenk, Aryeh Ben Chaim, Sichon Livracha, and Jack Bennett in honor of Sergeant Omer Taviv, who was killed by a Hamas anti-tank missile on the Gaza border May 12, 2021. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Neshamas will have an Aliyah and the families in Nechama. And with that, let us begin. We have, Baruch Hashem, a new parak today ahead of us. Incredibly exciting, sorry, a little better, a little better, good, excellent. So, we'll say, so let's begin. Today's daf is Chaf Aleph, 21, and we are picking up Emir Hashem on Chaf Amud Bey's 20B at the Mishnah. So the Mishnah says as follows, we've actually referenced this Mishnah before a little bit, but we're going to focus on it in greater depth now into tomorrow as well, Emir Hashem. If a person sleeps underneath a bed in his sukkah, he has not fulfilled his obligation. So we'll say, let's take a look at Rashi. What's happening over here? Lo yatsa, the ohel mafsik the iker yeshivas v'sheno. So we'll say, so there's a couple of things happening in this Rashi. So first of all, what's the problem with sleeping underneath the bed? inside of the sukkah. What's the problem? The problem is that the, you're not sleeping in the sukkah. Essentially, the, the, what the Mishnah is looking at it as that the area under the bed is its own ohel. That's an ohel. And therefore, when I sleep under the bed, I'm sleeping in an ohel that is not the sukkah. And therefore, ultimately, again, I'm not yotze. Now, it's interesting, it's interesting that he uses Lashon of Hayashin Tachasamita. Rashi just points out over here, just to, just to understand, this case is not limited to sleeping under the sukkah. The same halacha would be if what? If you ate underneath, I'm sorry, underneath the bed. If you ate underneath the bed, or if you went ahead and you drank underneath the bed, it's just using this case of sleeping. Why? Why? The pashtos is the most common case of what you would be doing underneath a bed. Good. So the Gemara says as follows. I'm Rabbi Huda. So we'll say, so that's the opinion of the Rabban of the Tanakhama. Comes along Rabbi Huda. Noah gin hayinu. Behuda says, well, the truth is, we used to sleep underneath the bed in the presence of the zikinim, in the presence of the elders, and no one ever said anything to us. So we'll say, Rabbi Yehuda is obviously arguing on the Tanakhama, and he's holding that halacha, even if you slept underneath the bed, it's okay. And here's what's interesting. His raya to that is, we did it, and what? No one said anything. So I'll say, what a powerful Musr. What a powerful Musr. That, you know, it's interesting in life, there is this dialectic or dynamic that sometimes when you see people doing certain things, you're not supposed to say anything. Right? You know, again, we all know people who comment on everything. And generally, people who comment on everything, their comments are worth nothing. But it is important to know that sometimes when we don't comment on something, it's shtika koda, that silence is acquiescence. And this is incredibly important in chinuch as well. Sometimes, you know, with our children, our children do things that may not be so wonderful. And sometimes a parent has to know that even if my kid is not doing exactly what they should be doing, don't say anything. You, you, can't, you can't comment on every single thing. On the flip side, there are certain things that my child does that I have to say something. 
Because if I don't say something, my child interprets that silence as permission or that silence as acquiescence. So this is the great balance in life, right? Not knowing when to say something, when not to say something, but recognizing that the price of silence is that it is often interpreted as a, as a shtempel, as, as, a, as a seal of kashros, as acquiescence. Rabbi Yehuda says, I don't know what you're talking about. We used to sleep underneath the bed in the presence of the Chachamim, and the Chachamim never said anything. All right, so the Gemara goes right to Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon comes along and says as follows. He says, So this is great. Rabbi Shimon says, there was a story, an episode with Tavi. Tavi was the Eved Kinani of Rabbi Gamliel. Right? So again, remember, Eved Kinani means non-Jewish, taken as a servant by a Jew. An Eved Kinani undergoes what we call a quasi-conversion process. It's a Gerus L'Shem Avdus. What's his status? He's quasi-Jewish. What's his mitzvah status? Essentially the same as an Isha, the same as a woman, which means that he's obligated to mitzvahs, but potter from mitzvahs asay shazman grama. So Tavi, the servant of Rabbi Gamliel, shahaya yoshin tachas hamita, he was sleeping underneath the bed, va'amal Rabbi Gamliel, so Tavi was in the sukkah, sleeping underneath the bed. And Rabbi Gamliel said to the Zikainim, re'isem, Tavi avdi, shutam chacham, so don't you see, Tavi, my servant, he's such a big Talmud Chacham. Why is he Talmud Chacham? You see, my servant Tavi, he's such a big Talmud Chacham, he knows that Avodim are potter from Sukkah. Therefore, what? So what is he doing to show that he's potter from Sukkah? He's sleeping underneath the bed. He's sleeping underneath the bed. So apparently, Tavi was Davka sleeping underneath the bed in order to make a statement that what? You're not Yotze Sukkah by sleeping underneath the bed. Now, he was able to make that statement because he wasn't obligated in Sukkah. And therefore, again, based on, based on this episode, we learn that that one who sleeps underneath the bed Ultimately, is not the to the mitzvah of Sukkah. But we'll say, take a look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says over here, "My sebetavi avdo va'avodim peturim in Sukkah." The mitzvah sasei shazman grama nashim peturos. The chosha isha chayeves eved nami chayeves. Okay, we just mentioned that before. Ulefi darchin lamad. Rashi says, "Kilomar afa pishlo amar lano l'shem limud ella l'sichas chulin ba'alma shahaya mishtabeach ba'avdo l'bedichusa ba'alma." We'll see why this is important. But Rabbi Gamliel was not actually issuing a halachic directive. Rabbi Gamliel was just talking. He was just having a conversation. He was having a conversation about Tavi, his servant. But from the conversation regarding the milas of Tavi, the servant, we see ultimately an important halacha, namely, that if you sleep underneath the bed, if you sleep underneath the bed, you are not yotze the mitzvah of sukkah. Good. So we'll say, so therefore, this is the in Mishnah. Simply put, Tanakama holds that Allah if a person sleeps underneath the sukkah, they're not Yotze, because you're sleeping in the ohel of the bed, not in the all of the sukkah. Rabbi Huda holds, you are Yotze if you sleep underneath the bed. And again, his raya is that we did this in front of the Chachamim and no one said anything to us. 
Rabbi Gamliel brings up his story of Tavi. Good. Says the Gemara. Both say, this gets very exciting. Says the Gemara. I have a whole look at Leka Asara. So here's what's interesting. Let's go back for just a moment. Let's assume, what are the minimum dimensions of an Ohel? What are the minimum? So let's think about this for just a second. A sukkah, a sukkah, to a certain degree, sometimes is categorized as an Ohel, sometimes is categorized as a bias. What are the minimum dimensions of a sukkah? Minimum dimensions? Zion by Zion and 10 Tfachim high. So the Gemara comes from the following perspective. If you're going to tell me that sleeping underneath a bed is problematic because the bed effectively is an ohel, and therefore you're sleeping in the ohel of the bed, not the ohel of the sukkah, then what should the bed require? Ten tfachim. Ten tfachim of height. Now, the Gemara is working under the assumption I, the bed doesn't have ten tfachim. Now, I will say, not that ten tfachim of height is, is so much later. A tefach is, is three inches, right? It's approximately three inches. Hey, so remember, again, it's not like you're dealing with so much height, but pepashtos, there's not ten tfachim of airspace underneath the bed, to which the Gemara is, Valaka asara, tergema shmuel, bemita asara. Shmuel comes to the rescue, and he says, no, talking about a bed that has ten tfachim. Okay, so that's what I said. It's the case of the Mishnah, where the area underneath the bed has 10 tfachim of height, therefore it constitutes an ohel. Tanan Hassam, so I said, this is a fascinating sugya. So we learn there, we learn there, the Gemara says in Meseches Olos, Echad Chor Shechararuhu Mayim. So I said, listen to this case. We're talking over here about open areas, open areas that were hollowed out naturally. So, for example, let's say you have a chor. Chor is a hole. But if you could imagine, what we're really, what we're really imagining of is not just a hole, but, but uh, um, what's the right word? Like a crevice. Like a crevice. An, 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 a cavity. An open area that was hollowed out by water. O shratzim. Or an area that was burrowed out, let's say, by, by animals. O shachaltu malachas. Or an area that was hollowed out by minerals. Like the mineral, the rim minerals themselves eroded the dirt. So too, again, if you have a pile of stones, and the way the stones fell was that there is a natural opening, a natural cavity inside of the stones. Or you have a stack of boards. But the way the boards are stacked is that there is an internal open area, an internal cavity. So I'll say, so just the imagery that's being pointed over here is an open area that was created naturally. Right, naturally. So what's Talacha? Mahil al hatumah. All of these areas serve as an ohel for tumah purposes. So let's take a step back for just a moment. Remember Hilchos Tumah 101, which is how does tumah spread? How does tumah spread? Up. Well, the truth is up and out, depending on where the tumah is housed. Right, but if you, so let's say if you have tumah in a container, right, so that container, so everything depends on what? The amount of space above the tumah. What's the halacha? If you have a tefach or more of space above the tumah, then, then what happens? Tumah is contained. Now, it's true the tumah is contained, but what does happen to the tumah? It spreads out, right? It goes to the sides. Less than a tefach of space on top of the tumah, tumah ola ubakas. Tumah will go up. The case over here is as follows. You have tumah contained in a cavity, right? In, in, a, in an area that was naturally formed. That was naturally formed. So, I'll say, so that's all of these cases. Right? You have an area that was hollowed out by water or an area that was hollowed out by, by animals 
or by minerals, or stones fell and they created a natural, a natural cavity, and you have tuma inside of it. So the Gemara says, Ma'il ala tuma. Fine, that naturally made cavity could act as an OL, which then means what? If there is a tefach of space between the tuma and the top of the cavity, the top of the, the top of the enclosure, the tuma is contained. Beautiful. Rabbi Huda Omer, no. Rabbi Huda disagrees. He says, well, listen to this rule. Call ohel she'inu asui adam eno ohel. This is incredible. Rabbi Huda holds that in order for an ohel to contain tuma, it must be man-made. And if it's not man-made, it does not contain tuma. Even if what? Even if what? Even if what? There's a tefak of space. Right? An incredible halacha. So my time is Rabbi Huda. What's Rabbi Huda's logic? Tap of Chafalif. Yalif ohel ohel mi mishkan. Bose is incredible. He learns that exeter shavav ohel ohel from mishkan. Siv It says over here, Zos Torah sa'adam kiya muspa ohel. So Bose says by the Pasuk in Tumah, Parashas Chukas. Right? This is the laws of, this is the halachos if a person will die inside of an ohel. Tumas ohel. Uksiv hasam. And he quotes over here the Pasik from Vayifros Esa Ohel Al Hamishkan Shmos, right? He went ahead and he placed the Ohel over the Mishkan. I will say, you know, in this context, Ohel actually means the roof of the Mishkan. He placed the roof over the Mishkan. Malahalon. Malahalon. So we'll say, just like Ohel by the Mishkan. Malahalon bide Adam. Afkan bide Adam. Just like over here, right? By the Mishkan itself. This is a Mishkan that is man made. So too, over here, when it comes to Tumah, this is a Mishkan, this is an Ohel that is man-made. So this, this is the incredible sheet of Rabbi Huda that we are going to spend a little bit of Tumah, which is really incredible, which is the Halach Lama the only type of Tumah, sorry, the only type of Ohel which contains Tumah is a man-made Ohel. If it's a naturally formed Ohel, which was all of the cases we saw beforehand, Halach Lama those naturally formed cavities do not contain Tumah. Where did he learn it out from? Gezer Shava, Ohel, Ohel from the Mishkan. Just like the Mishkan was man-made, so to an all which contains Tumah must be man-made as well. Incredible. V'rabanon, V'rabanon, Ohel, Ohel, Riba. So we'll say, V'rabanon will say that the repeated use of the word Ohel comes to include what? All types of Ohalim. Right? All types of Ohalim. Because we'll say the pasuk that he's referring to over here is that the pasuk in Parashas Chukas reads as follows: Zos Torah, Adam Kiyomus Ba'ohel, Kol Habaal Ha'ohel, V'Chol Asher Ba'ohel. The pasuk repeats the word Ohel three times in the pasuk containing Tuma. The Rabbanu understand. Excuse me. The Rabbana understand that that repeated use of the word to I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm good. Thank you, thank you, sir. The, the, the Rabbana understand that that repeated use of the word Tuma comes to what? Include, I'm sorry, that repeated use of the word Ohel comes to include all different types of Olim. Whatever structure you have, a mad made structure, a naturally formed structure. So we'll say, isn't this incredible? It's like, you know, you know how sometimes you have a day. A lot, we, we, learn, we learn things, beautiful things, every day in Dafyomi. But I would venture to say that most days, what we learn, we've heard of in some way, some way, shape, or form before. I would venture to say that we've never heard this machlokis before. 
right? I'm saying, you know, it's, it's fascinating. Sometimes you come, no matter how much you learn, no matter how much you learn, you come across a piece of information, right? A little, a little nugget, a little morsel of Torah that mamish you never, ever heard before. And it's so exciting. And it just teaches you how vast Torah is. You could learn every single day, right? From years and years and years. And then you stumble upon something. Wow. So major machlokes, major machlokes, what type of ohel contains tumah? Rabbi Huda says, only a man-made ohel. The Rabbanon say, no, even a naturally made ohel. Incredible. So we'll say, so why is this important for us? Get ready. Does Rabbi Huda really hold that? That any ohel that is not man-made is not an ohel, is not an ohel. So the Gemara says, or minu areza Rebosai, I have to tell you this. We're going to we're going to now look at a at a Mishnah in 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 uh, Mesechas Parah. It calls to Rebosai the Gemara Mesechas Vachim. This is this is an absolutely amazing Mishnah. Listen to this. Chatseros hayu benuyos birushalayim agabe sela v'tachtehem chala. They used to build. Listen to this. They used to build courtyards in Yerushalayim on top of the bedrock. On top of the bedrock, like I mentioned yesterday, I mentioned this in the Smichas Chavashir. You know, let's say in 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 you know in these days when we when most of us don't yet have the opportunity to go to Eretz Yisrael, so whenever you come across something that has to do with Eretz Yisrael, you have to savor it. You have to savor it because. You know, for now, for, for many of us, myself included here, this is your connection to Eretz Yisrael, right? A, a little, when, when we have a piece of Torah that connects us to Yerushalayim, grab it. Grab it and savor it. It's part of our Chiba Sa'aret. So listen to this. They would make courtyards. They would make courtyards in Yerushalayim on top of the bedrock. V'tachteyem chalo. Now watch this. So they would create, they would, these were, they, they would create these communities, they were, they were built a little community, we'll see why, a chatzar on top of the bedrock. But they wouldn't build the chatzar right on top of the bedrock. Instead, what would they do? They would add an additional tapak of space underneath the chatzar. So, right, so if you can imagine, you can't, you can't build directly on bedrock. What do you have to do? You have to fill the area. So listen, you, just, just to illustrate this, you know, for example, the kosal. Right, the kosal. That's not a wall of the base hamikdash. That's that's one of the retaining walls that Herod built around Harabais. Right, because at the end of the day, Harabais is a mountain. You can't. It's hard to build a structure on top of a mountain because you don't have a lot of flat space. You ever look down? Right, if you ever go on Harazesim and you look down on Harabais, so it's a whole flat area. That's not the natural topography of Harabais. But if you take walls. Look, tall walls. You build them around the mountain, fill in the mountain with earth, flatten the area. Now you have an entire plaza to build on. So if you could imagine, they're building a chatzar in Yerushalayim on top of the bedrock. So what do you do? You, you're, you, build, you bring your retaining walls, you fill in the dirt, you put a chatzar, you build the chatzar on top of it. But they would purposely leave a tafach of space underneath the chatzar. Underneath the chatzar. Why would they do that, They would do that, listen to this. In the event, in the event that there was a corpse buried underneath the bedrock, that tafach of space would do what? What would it do? It contains the tumor. 
They both say, what is the statistical probability of a corpse being buried underneath bedrock? Right? Virtually zero. Both say it's bedrock. Be- be- bedrock means pretty much you're getting to like the undisturbed area, the, sub- the undisturbed subterranean area. But we're going to see, by the way, why they were doing this. So they would create this man-made opening of a tefach in order to contain the tumah. So I listen to this. What, wh- who are they making this for? You ready? Umavian nashim ubros, viyoldos sham. They would go ahead and bring pregnant women to live there. And the women would give birth there. Umegadlos benehem sham lepara. And they would raise children there. For the per- these children, their mission, their job, was to be involved in the process of para aduma. Paraduma. Now we'll say, before you think it's good, wait, we're going to look at Rashi. Look at Rashi just a moment. Mipnei kevra to home. Rashi says, Sham kol shem kol shem kevra to home. Utumas atom shebishas. Lashon safeku kit to home. Shinagod mei kevra to home. Shal kola ir hayum supakin shemye sham kever. Vein lo lemeis chalal tefach. Utumashir tuzbaka. It's probably, we'll say, I just want to point out, obviously, they were doing this as a chumrah. Right? Remember again, kever to home is a descriptive term for a general concern that maybe there is a corpse buried underneath this area. Now remember again, because they're building on the bedrock, the statistical probability of there actually being a corpse underneath is nil. Now what, look at Rashi. You both say, this takes us back, but you know what's also very exciting about this? This is going to take us back to the beginning of Masechus Yuma. Look at the next Rashi. Mevian Nashim Ubros. This is a very important Rashi. Mishumahidisnan. Here we go. Both say, just to give you the background, as to why they were doing this. Reading in Rashi, Now listen to this. Remember again, we saw this in the beginning of Yuma. There was a major machlokas between the Tztukim and the Purushim about the permissibility of a tvul yom to do para adum. Remember, who's a t- what's a tvul yom? What's a tvul yom? Person becomes tameh, and then what? Goes to the mikvah, but requires hair of shemesh. The halacha is that even a coin who is permitted to do a tvul, who is a tvul yom, is permitted to do the service of the paraduma. The tzedukim, because they reject Torah Shabal Peh, so did not agree with this interpretation. So they did something dramatic in the Vesa Mikdash. To show that the tzedukim were wrong, what would they do? What would they do? They would be metame the Kohen, who was doing the paraduma on the day he was to do the service. They would immerse him, and they would dafka have him do the paraduma service as a tvoyom. To show, to, to make a dramatic statement that the tzedukim are wrong. Now, the problem with that is that what? There was now, the, what's the reverse concern? Now, for letting a Kohen who is a tvoyom do the service of the paraduma, people may end up treating the service of para aduma lightly. So you remember what was, what was the countermeasure? They were ridiculously machmir in every other area, right? Remember again, they would sequester the Kohen. Two times we sequester a Kohen. It's for Yom Kippur, for para aduma. They would only use what? Remember again, what kind of utensils? Little Chazara? Stone and dung utensils, which are not mikabel tumah. So what's interesting is they were quote unquote meko, although it's not really a kula, but they were metame and allowed them to be a tvulyom, but then imposed every other chumrah on the other end in order to maintain the proper, what's the right word? We'll call it reverence 
for this halachas. Let's finish Rashi. Rashi says, therefore, asu bo v'chilulim t'tvulim gotshapara asu bo milas harbe kadeshlo yizalzalu ba. So therefore, again, they made many other chumros in order that people will not treat para aduma lightly. So what did they do? The Gemara says, tiknu ba komaisa para b'klei gelalim u'klei avanim. You have to use stone or dung utensils u'klei adama earthenware shem akavutuma. Va koin has sarfa his kikul aprishas shiras yamin. The Kohen who was going to do the Avodah was sequestered for seven days. No one was allowed to touch him. They would sprinkle upon him waters of Paraduma all seven days. The Gemara says, Listen to this. So part of the Maila, part of the Chumrah that they imposed on Paraduma was what? Only these kids, only these children who were raised in this special Chatzar were the ones. Now, what was their job? Their job was to go ahead and draw the water from the Shiloach spring. Right? The water, the water... The water for the, oh, say if you ever take the uh, Ir, Ir David tours, when you walk through the water tunnels, that water comes from the Shiloach, right? So you go ahead and if you, so the, the children who drew that water were these children from the Schatzer. This was part of the Maila of Para Aduma. So the Gemara says, Ubitosepta Shaninu, Children who were raised in this specialized Schatzer were only there until the age of seven or eight. Because after seven or eight, again, we assume that a child, up until the age of seven or eight, we assume that a child does not experience any type of seminal emission. But already after seven or eight, there's the possibility of seminal emission. Therefore, the child could easily become Tomei in other ways. So we'll say, so this was the Chatzar of the kids of Para Aduma. Yeah, absolutely Absolutely incredible. So the Gemara says, go back to the Gemara. So what would happen? So they would take pregnant women, right? Bring them there. The women would give birth. They would raise the kids there. They would raise the kids there. And what would happen? And you raise, they would raise their children for para aduma. Para aduma. You know also another incredible yesod in Chinuch. That sometimes if a person wants to raise children, Bikdusha Ubitara, sometimes you have to raise them in a metaphorical sequestered chatzar in Yerushalayim. You know, you know we, I, I think that sometimes parents erroneously think that the best thing they could do for their children is exposure. I want my children to know about the world. Your children will know about the world, and they're going to know about the world much sooner than we ever want them to know about the world. Sheltering our children, especially when they're young, is the most important avoda that a parent could do for a child. Again, it doesn't mean sheltering in, in, in a harmful way, but creating a protective cocoon of holiness is absolutely incredible. Otherwise, kids don't have a fighting chance because the world is filled with so much tola, and the world is filled with so much impurity, and the world is filled with so much negativity. If you just give your children unfiltered, unfettered access to everything, then I can't be surprised when they don't make the right decisions in life. If you want children who are going to live Bikdusha Batara, there has to be a specialized chatzar, a metaphorical specialized chatzar in Yerushalayim to raise them in that way. So the Gemara goes right there. So what happens? Listen to this. This is wild. So now the kids are going to do the water of the Paraduma. So what happens? Umavim Shvarim, they would bring oxen, the Agabe and the Lassos. I was like, you have to imagine this. They brought oxen, 
and there were doors. They placed a door on the, on the top of the ox. The kids would sit on top of the doors. Now, why are they bringing doors? Why are they bringing doors? So remember again, what does the door do? The door, if you can imagine, you put the door perpendicular to the ox. So what that does is, what that does is, if there's any tumma anywhere, let's say the kid leads over this way, the kid leads over that way, the door itself acts as a barrier to tumma. What happens? The kozo shall even be and they're holding, they're holding glasses of stone or you know stone stoneware, stoneware. Like we said before, stones not makabel tumma. Hegila shiloach. When they get to the shiloach spring, they go ahead and they go into the water umilum. And they go ahead and they go to the water. They go to the water, fill up the utensils. Remember again, for para aduma, this is the ma'im chayim. Va'alu v'yashulam. And they go back and they sit on top of the, sit on top of the ox. Rabbi Yossi Omer, no. No, no, no. They wouldn't get off the ox. Rather, No, we don't want those kids getting off the ox. Because I will say, what happens after you get off the ox? Everyone knows. The moment you get off the ox, anything could happen. Anything could happen after you stay on the ox. Good, good eights in life. Stay on the ox. And therefore, again, what would they do? They would lower the utensils from the top of the ox, draw the water like that. I will say, also, such an incredible you sowed. You know, in life, you could plan, you could plan, you could plan, then suddenly you get off the ox. Suddenly you get off the ox, right? And everything breaks loose, right? And everything happens. So sometimes, so much of success in life is about staying the course. You started in the chatzar, stay on the ox. The moment you get off the ox, the moment you break your concentration, is the moment that things kind of go off the rails. So Rabbi Yossi says, no, no one's getting off the ox. Rather, again, lower the stoneware off, and draw the water like that. Rabbi Huda Omer, and our boss listen to this. Rabbi Huda said, Lo delasos. They didn't have doors. They, they did not have doors on top of the oxen. Ella shvarim. Supposed to listen to this. Rabbi Huda said, the shar itself acts as a natural ohel. As we're going to see, these were, these were wide-bellied oxen, right? So the wide-bellied oxen, the ox itself acted as an ohel. And therefore, again, even if the ox itself, so say, the assumption was uh, you, you want the door there because let's say the ox passes over a kever, right? Inadvertently, this way, again, the door acts as a barrier because this is, you don't need the doors. The ox counts as a barrier, so the Gemara says, but one second. Now, both say, now remember again, we're going to try to link things, everything back together. What did Rabbi Huda say on the bottom of Chaf Ahmed Beis? What type of ohel is Chotzeitz Bifnei Tuma? Only what? A man-made ohel. I, the Gemara says, V'hashvarim de'ohel she'ena asevidei adamu, V'katani, Rabbi Huda, Omer Allah, Hayyum Avin, De'lasas al-Shvarim. But one second, Rabbi Huda, you said that only a man-made ohel has the ability to be chotzeitz bifnei tuma to serve as a barrier. And yet, obviously, an ox is not a man-made tuma. So, what's going on over here? Well, say, listen to this. Rabbi Huda holds that, in fact, if the cavity, if the open area, or we'll call it if the ohel, is at least the size of an egrof. Now, we'll say Rashi says egrof literally means what? A fist. Rashi says what it actually means, what it actually means is the size of a head. The size of the head, right? If the oil itself is at least the size of a head, halacha lemaisa, halacha lemaisa, even Rabbi Huda holds that if it's naturally formed, 
it'll be chotzeis bifnei atoma. In other words, then when Rabbi Huda said that a naturally formed ohel is not chotzeis bifnei atoma, he meant only if it's smaller than the size of a head. But if it's a head or larger, even Rabbi Yehuda would agree that a man-made ohel, excuse me, that a naturally formed ohel is chotzeis bifnei atoma. We have a price that supports this. So we'll say that Rabbi Huda agrees with Shkifin. Rashi says, Shkifin are slam and If you have boulders that fall, right? And the boulders fall, and the way they fall on top of each other is they create a cavity. Rabbi Huda holds that that naturally formed cavity, if more than the size of a head, or we'll use Lashon of Egrof, that will work. That right, that'll be a ohel, which is Chosei's Bifnei Atomos. We'll say a little bit of a qualification to Rabbi Huda Shita. Even though Rabbi Huda said before that in order for an ohel to be Chosei's Bifnei it has to be man-made, he will agree that if it's large enough, well, what's large enough? Larger than the size of the head, even if it's naturally formed, it will be Chotzis Bifnei Atoma. The Gemara says as follows: Umod Rabbi Yehuda b'Shkivin Rai, Bahari Dallas, Diyesh Bakama Egrofin, Vikaytan Rabbi Yehuda Lo Hayum Avin Dalasos Ela Shvarim. But one second, then why does Rabbi Yehuda have a problem with the doors? What's wrong with the doors? Right. After all, again, I will say when the door forms an ohel, right? Remember the door is forming an ohel over what? Over the ground. There's a lot of space there. A number of head spaces there. So why would Rabbi Huda have a problem with a door ohel? To which the Gemara says, No, no, no. Rabbi Huda is okay with the door ohel. Rather, what does Rabbi Huda saying? What was he saying? You don't need the door. Why don't you need the door? Why not? Because you have the ox. That's what he was saying. It's not that the door doesn't work, right? Rabbi Huda is just saying, I'm saving you work. You don't need the door because the ox itself could serve as the ohel for the child on top of it. So Rabbi Omar, Rabbi says, Lo Rabbi says, Rabbi Huda, I agree with you, but for a different reason. Rabbi says, I'm against the doors. They would not bring the doors. Why not? Listen to this. Shema, I'm sorry. Listen to this. What's going to happen if you have a door? So remember again, a door gives the child on top what? A lot of extra space. So what's going to happen? He's a child. So what does a child naturally do? Look here, look there. So what's going to happen if the child has a nice flat sitting area? The child's going to look over this way, look over that way. And also remember again, one wrong move. One wrong move. What happens? What happens? Tuma. We'll say, by the way, what an incredible metaphor and such an important Lamaisa lesson for us in the age in which we live. You know, one, one of the hardest nisyonos, right? One of the hardest things to contend with in life is Shmira Sainayim. Right, is going ahead and making sure that we don't look at inappropriate things. And isn't it an incredible musr? Right? One wrong look this way, one wrong look that way. And suddenly what happens? Tuma. Tuma. An incredible yisod, right? So one the child positions himself this way, child positions himself that way, right? And suddenly again, Daito Shaltino Gasalov Shemayote Rosha Echamebarbi Yitma. So interestingly enough. Rava comes along and says that no doors, no doors, not because they don't work, just the opposite. They work fine. They work fine. But at the end of the day, we're concerned that the kid is going to go ahead and move himself around. So I'm sorry. Sorry. Good. We have a Bryce that supports Rava. Rabbi Huda Omer, 
Rabbi Yehuda said they would not bring doors at all. Why? Good. So I'll say, so therefore again, Rava says, and apparently Rabbi Huda is on the same page as well, no doors, no doors, no doors. Again, why? According to Rabbi Huda, because you don't need doors. According to Rava, we don't want doors because doors give the kids. So I'll say, see, I guess what the Gemara is saying is like this. Rava's position is like this. When a child is sitting on top of the ox, I guess I've never ridden an ox, but I have to imagine, it's on my bucket list, but I have to imagine as follows, which is you're sitting there, because as a child, you're unsure of your, right? You're not, it's not so stable. Because it's not so stable, what don't you do? Move around, right? And that's good. We don't want the kid moving around. We want the kid staying in state, in, in, pay, in, in place. Because again, one wrong move, you reach over, suddenly again, a person, the child can become tummy. And Joe will say, you know, again, it's, it's such a strong metaphor, because who is this child? This child was the child who was brought in utero, in utero, to the specialized chatzar, and was, and was born in this chatzar, and was raised b'kdusha b'tara, which also tells you something amazing, that halacha l'maysa, person could be born b'kdusha, could be raised b'kdusha, but yet what? It's no guarantee for the retention of that kedusha. Because even if you're born there, even if you're raised there, still one wrong move has the ability to divest a person of all their kedusha. Well, like, isn't it my sin yom for so many of us? I work so hard, I work so hard, I work so hard, and then I make a mistake. And what happens with the mistake? Again, see what happens. I feel like I've lost all my kedusha. It's not true. A Jew never loses all of his kedusha. But at the same time, I feel like I did. I feel like I did. I worked so hard. I built myself up so much. I pushed myself so much. I overcame so much. And then again, one wrong move, one wrong positioning, one wrong look, this, and suddenly a person feels like they've lost all of that that they've amassed. It's such an incredible yisod. Need for constant and ongoing vigilance. Ella, so because we don't want doors, what do we do? Chaf Aleph Amadeis, five lines down from the top. Ella, Mevian Shvarim HaMitzrim, Shekriso Sehen Rechavos. So they'll say, what do we use? Egyptian oxen. Why Egyptian oxen? They're wide-bellied oxen. Wide-bellied Egyptian oxen. And therefore, again, Vatinokos Yoshrin Al-Gabehen. The children sit on top of the, on top of the Shar. Vikosos Shal Even Biadehen. And they're holding, they're holding stone stone utensils. They get to the Shiloh spring. Yardu umilum. They lowered the they lowered the utensils. They fill it up. Va'alu. And they pull it back up. And ultimately again, they sit back on it. And again, we'll say the rest of the story is then what? Then again, ultimately again the water is brought to the coin gadol and the service of the para aduma is done. I will say just such an incredible yisod. That if you want all of this, all of this, what? Let's say, think about this, all of this to get a glass of water. All of this to get a glass of water. Because if you want a glass of water, Bikdusha Ubitara, then all of the steps leading up to it have to be Bikdusha Ubitara as well. It's such an incredible use. So, Kiddusha, to live a life of Kiddusha, to drink water of Kiddusha, to do Para Aduma of Kiddusha. 
requires me to take all of my steps, Bikdusha Ubitara as well. And that is an Avodah. It's just such an incredible Yisod. We'll say back to the bed. Baharimita! Okay, so we'll say, so remember again, this was a real detour. But remember again, where, where are we coming from with this? Remember, Hayashin Taka Samita. Right, this is Mishnah. You sleep underneath the bed. So Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda said that Halacha Lamaisa, sleeping underneath the bed, sleeping, right, Rabbi Huda holds that Halacha Lamaisa, you're allowed to sleep underneath the bed. Why? Why? We'll say why. Because he holds it's not an Ohel. Right? Remember, now Rabbi Huda doesn't say that in the Mishnah, or Rabbi Huda says in the Mishnah is what? We slept underneath the bed and what? And what? No one said anything. But that's his position. It's not an Ohel, therefore you can sleep. Now, we'll say, now, now it makes sense. Why does Rabbi Yehuda hold that a bed is not an ohel? Why does he hold that way? Why does he hold that way? Because we'll say ultimately again, Rabbi Yehuda holds any bed that's not made bide adam, bide adam is not called, is not, I'm sorry, any ohel that's not made bide adam is not called an ohel. Now the Pashas of say a bed is not an ohel, right? It's not made bide adam. I mean, a bed is made bide adam, but it's not called an ohel. That's made bide adam. So if that's the case again. Rabbi, I now even said Rabbi Huda Shita, but here's the problem: we qualify that Rabbi Huda held that even if you have a naturally formed ohel, if what, if it holds, if it's if it's at least how large, how large, large enough for a head, that that does count as an ohel. To which the Gemara says, well, one second, Bahare mita, deish bakama egrofin. Now we'll say a bed is larger than a couple of heads. I have Rabbi Huda says that a bed's not an ohel, right? We slept underneath the bed in front of the elders and no one said anything to us. But again, even according to Rabbi Huda's logic, a bed should be an ohel. A bed should be an ohel. Even though what? It's not called bide adam. Even though it's not called bide adam, right? Because no one made that ohel for the sake of ohel. But it is still large enough for a couple of heads and that should make it, um, uh, that should make it an ohel. To which the Gemara says, Shani mito, ho'el ulegaba asuya. Bed's different, I'll say why. Because a bed is not made for the, to use the cavity underneath it. Rather, what is a bed made for? What is a bed made for? To use the top. So, because, so therefore, again, it does the, the, under, the underside of the bed does not have the status of an ohel. The Gemara says, one second. But one second. You just told me before that, back to Paraduma, when the kids ride on top of the oxen, the ox serves as an ohel. Well, an ox, the bottom of an ox is not made for, right? An ox is not made for its underside either. But yet, again, you still allow it to function as an ohel. This is very interesting. No, oxen are made, are made to, for use for its underside. How? Apparently, Oxen provide shade for the shepherd during the heat and provide shelter for the shepherd during the rain. So you see that even the underside of the ox is used. I mean, you'd have to be pretty brave to seek shelter underneath an ox, right? But I guess, Lamaisa, I guess if you're the shepherd, you've developed a, a rapport with him in any event. So the Gemara says as follows, But once again, you can make the same argument about the bed. The underside of the bed is also used. When is it used? How is it used? You put your shoes. You put your sandals underneath it. So, so, the, so the same way that the underside of the shar is used to provide shade for the shepherd, the underside of the bed or the underneath area, underside, underside, yeah, I guess, underside of the bed is also used to go ahead and provide storage. To which the Gemara says, Allah Amarava, 
shiny shvarim. So the Gemara says, "How will asuyim lahagin abeneme ayim shalohen?" The Bible said, "This is very interesting. Shvarim are different because ultimately, again, the shar, the, the the top of the shar. Really, what it's saying is the skeleton of the shar is there to protect its kishkas, right? The inner organs of the shar. Shneemar or ubasar talbisheni ubatsamos begidim." Tisochecheni. So we'll say the, when it comes to the skeleton, the atzamas, it uses the lashon of tisochecheni. Asoka, asoka. Right, pasuk from Eo. So you see from here that the skeleton of the shor is considered to be like the roof, like the sukkah of its innards. So therefore, again, a shor is made. A shor is made ultimately again for use of the underside as well as opposed to a bed that's not but so the other possibility is there's a simpler answer we'll say here is the conclusion of this sukya so we'll say Rihuda holds that a sukkah has to be a diras keva right a sukkah has to be what we'll call a semi-permanent structure and remember again the bed is an ohel but what type of ohel is a bed what type of ba'ol is a bed it's a dirasaray, a temporary, a temporary structure. Vesuka oel keva. So the velo asi oel aray umevatel oel keva. Rabbi Huda is of the opinion of Osei that suka is a diras keva. Bed or the under, the under, the under, the under part, underside of the bed is an ohel aray, and an ohel aray cannot go ahead and what overtake or usurp an ohel keva. Therefore, when you sleep under the bed, essentially in Rabbi Huda's model, the bed is bottled to the sukkah. Rabbi Shimon, the Rabbi Shimon Nami Savar Diras Sukkah Diras Kevabayinon. I bet Rabbi Shimon holds. Rabbi Shimon also agrees with Rabbi Huda, namely that the sukkah must be a semi-permanent structure. Yet, Rabbi Shimon is of the opinion that if you sleep underneath the bed, then what? You're not Yotzei Sukkah. Why? Because we consider it as if you're sleeping underneath the su- the diras the sukkah sarai the diras sarai of the bed and not underneath the diras keva of the sukkah. Tushim says you're right. Pligi. that's gufa the machlokas. Rebbe say this is the machlokas. Mar savar asil asi ohel arai mavato ohel keva umar savar lo asi ohel arai umavato ohel keva. Rebbe say that is the machlokas. So we'll say, bottom line is, everyone is going to agree that the area underneath the bed is an ohel, is an ohel. So what's the machlokas? The machlokas is, can he, does the ohel aray of sukkah, is, I'm sorry, is the ohel aray of mito mevatel, the ohel keva or the diras keva of sukkah? Rabbi Huda holds it is not, and therefore if you sleep underneath the bed, you are still Yotze, and Rabbi Shimon says it is. And therefore if you sleep underneath the bed, you are not Yotze. We both say, we'll see the halo, I'll do, we're not going to have time today, but I'll show you the halo chalamaisa with bed a little bit later on. But I'll say, but you have to admit, that, that piece on Paraduma riveting, no? Riveting. Riveting. Yeah, I mean, I... I don't think I built it up enough in the, in the WhatsApp message last night, which maybe, maybe nobody prepared themselves for this overwhelming tidal wave of exciting Torah, but incredible, incredible. I will say, we're going to see the Shulchan Aruch on beds. Let's just finish up to the Mishnah. I'm Rabbi Shimon, Maiseh, B'tavi Abdo. So most remember again, Rabbi Shimon then was speaking about, right, Rabbi Shimon was talking about the, the story of Tavi, the servant of Rabbi Gamliel, right? And Tavi Davka slept underneath the bed in order to show that ultimately, again, 
One is not Yotze the mitzvah of sukkah while sleeping underneath the bed. So the Gemara says, Tanya Rabbi Shimon, Misichas al Shabbat Gamliel, Labmadu Shnei Devarim. Rabbi Shimon says, as far as Bryce says, a little bit different than the Mishnah, from the, from the conversation of Rabbi Gamliel, we learn two things. Number one, Labmadu Shabbatim Turamina Sukkah. Number one lesson was, Avadim, right? And there was obviously this is Eved Kinani, not Eved Ivri. Eved Ivri is Chayav and Sukkah. But Avadim, Avadim Kinanim are Potter from Sukkah. That's lesson number one. We also learned that what? If you sleep underneath the bed, you are not Yotze the Mitzvah of Sukkah. So the Gemara says, So I'll say, if you look at the Mishnah, Rabbi Shimon says, from the conversation of Rabbi Gamliel. Why is it from the conversation? Why don't you just say midvarov? From the words of Rabbi Gamliel, we learn this. Why sichaso? To which the Gemara says something amazing. The Gemara says, Milsa Because Rabbi Yeshua was teaching us another lesson. What was the lesson? How do you know that even the casual conversation of Tamidi Chachamim? has what to learn from, right? That even the casual conversation of Tamidi Chachamim has so much to teach us. Shenemar quotes the Pasuk over here from Tehillim, Va'alehu lo yibol, that his leaf will not wither. Rashi says over here, what's the leaf? Rashi says, Davar Kal Shebo. We'll say, just like the leaf is not a primary part of the tree. It's only a little chilek, only a little piece of the tree. But the leaf doesn't wither, so too even the little things which come from Tamid Yacham, the little things are referenced to what? The casual conversations. Right? Even the casual conversations of a Tamid Chacham have so much to teach us. Rabbi Yeshua was Dafka coming to go in and teach us this idea. Rabbi Gamliel was not engaged, I'm sorry, Rabbi Yeshua, sorry, was not, was not engaged. I'm sorry. It's Rabbi Gamliel, right? Rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel was not engaged in a halachic discourse. Rather, what was he engaged in? What was he engaged in? Casual conversation. Therefore, when Rabbi Shimon goes in and conveys this, he doesn't use Lashon of Midvarav. Because Dvarav can sound like what? A targeted halachic conversation. Instead, he uses Lashon of Misichaso. Asicha is the casual conversation. The teacher of us said that even from the casual conversations of Talmidei Chachamim, ultimately there is what to be learned. And Rabbi the, the message for us is even if a person is not a Talmud Chacham, so it's not a Talmud Chacham, so we'll say, but a person has to be careful even with their casual conversations, right? Even, even our casual conversations should be conversations of meaning. Or in other words, better not to engage in conversations that have no depth or meaning to them. Because even the Talmud Chacham models for us that whenever you talk, your words should be filled with meaning, and your mean- words should ultimately be filled with purpose. Right? So we'll stop over here. We'll pick up a message of the Mishnah tomorrow. Shkoyach.